0: Thank you so much, Joel, and Children's Choir Director Carey. Wasn't that beautiful? Amen. It's a great gift to have them lead us in worship and share music. Would you pause with me as we open the word of God together? We're going to pray and ask God to prepare our hearts. And I just invite you to take a deep breath because you made it, and it's Sabbath, And you're in the presence of God. So God, we come to you who fills our lungs with air in this moment. We come to you who is the provider of all of our needs. Our sovereign God. Asking that you would open up our hearts and our minds to hear from you today. Only you know what we're going through. Only you know what each person walked in here with or is listening at home, thinking about, and the burden that's on their heart. And so I pray, God, that you would do something miraculous, that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever had someone copy you? Have you ever had someone copy you? Really? Yeah? Have you, like you sit in a stand in a certain way and they do that too. You reach for something, they reach for it too. You say, hello, how are you? Hello, how are you? What are you doing today? What are you doing today? Are you gonna eat lunch? Are you gonna eat lunch? Have you ever had that kind of copying before? We have a rule in our house that you can't copy without permission. And that came about like all rules and policies everywhere because there's a story behind it. As it turns out, even parents and siblings alike can get annoyed from people copying without permission. Do you remember that? That kind of experience of having someone copy you, maybe your kid, your grandchild, your niece or nephew, your neighbor kid, the person next to you. <laughs> they this copying after you and yet in the scripture that we read today, that's exactly what Paul says. He says, copy me, and we feel a little annoyed by that. We can feel a little annoyed by even the fact that we around each other end up affecting each other, and yet it's true that the example and the experience that we have with each other makes a difference on each one of us. So Paul directs our attention, as I invite you to Philippians chapter three, He directs our attention to these very words. Most of us might feel frustrated by this reality that we serve as an example to someone in our lives. But he invites it. He actually says this. When I first read this section for today, I felt a little bit like Paul. How in the world can you say this? How is this possible? But as we work through this passage and look at my objections to his words, I hope that you'll get another understanding of what he's saying here. Verse 17. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I've often told you before and now say again, even with tears, Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their God, destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is from heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Paul throughout this whole letter as he's been talking to the Philippians, he has said in so many ways, I'm all in with Jesus. I'm going all in. I want to experience his glory and I want to experience his suffering. I want to experience all of it. And so he's able to say these words that as I am going all in with Jesus, I invite you to follow after me. Fully identifying with Jesus Christ. But Paul just said in the section that we looked at last week, I'm not perfect. He said these words, not that I have attained all of this. That means not that I'm there. I didn't make it. I haven't arrived. I haven't gotten to where I'm going. But I'm pressing forward. So Paul, how do you have it both ways here? How is it that you can say, follow my example, and on the other hand say, I'm not there yet? I haven't arrived yet. That's like you telling your little sister or little brother, like, follow me in how I'm obeying mom and dad, and then you disrespect mom and dad, like, right in front of them. And you're like, what in the world? You're saying it both ways. Paul is saying, I'm completely dependent on Jesus. I recognize that I can't do it on my own. And so even though I haven't arrived yet, even though I'm not there yet, I am striving after Jesus, and that is something that we can all follow. We've all questioned this verse because someone has let us down. For each and every person here, someone has proven themselves untrustworthy. They've even perhaps said to you, follow my example, but then they end up messing up. Paul tells the Philippians and us, look at me, not because he thinks he's arrived, but because he's looking to Jesus and trusting Jesus with everything that he's worth. In his message to the Corinthians, he says, I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed, and what I prayed for didn't happen. Can anyone relate to that? I prayed that this thorn in the flesh would be taken away from me, I prayed, and it didn't happen. But God said, in your weakness, you will become strong because my grace is sufficient for you. So Paul doesn't speak from this person that's like got it all together. But he speaks as one who says, from that place, I have found God to be enough. So he's struggling too. He's exhausted too. He's discouraged and overwhelmed at times. He's straining and striving And yet he's keeping his faith in the one who can carry him across the finish line. I can certainly relate to Paul. Keep in mind I respect him. He's an apostle and a person in the scriptures that I deeply respect. But I can relate because in his list in 2 Corinthians 11, he shares what he's gone through. He shares that he's been shipwrecked. He shares that he's been flogged. He shares that he's had stones thrown at him. He shares that he carries all of this and has had all this experience. Now, your list might be a little different. You might share different things of what you've gone through. But all the things that Paul went through, all those things that he faced didn't get the better of him. Jesus gave him strength through it, and continues to give him strength through it as he's sitting there under house arrest. And this is where I relate: all the things that could have crushed me didn't. That's what I want you to hear from me today: is all the things that I thought would be the end of me weren't. There have been times when all the things that could go wrong did. Yet, by the grace of God, I'm still here. I'm still standing. What do we do when everything runs off the rails in our lives? Paul has had that experience again and again. I know that if I were to ask you, because I already heard it a couple dozen times this morning, how are you? I'm hearing a lot of what Denny just gave voice to in the prayer. I'm exhausted. It's a mess right now. I don't know how I can come up for a breath. I heard at least two dozen people say that to me between first and second service alone. If we were to ask today right now, are there things you're worried about? Are there things your heart feels burdened with as you come in this morning? The answer for most of us would be a resounding yes. I know you're going through it too. In times of deep weariness, it's easy to forget that grace is real. In times of deep weariness, it's easy to forget that grace is real. That what sustained Paul is what sustains you. Whether you're facing a grade, a class that you don't know how to get through, or whether your business is struggling, or whether your family is coming apart at the seams, grace is what sustains us. It's grace that sustained Paul and it's grace that sustains us. Grace that is enough for me and for you. Grace that says to me and you, you are enough because I am enough. In the world, we experience the opposite. And in the world, we discourage the kind of vulnerability Paul has. That Paul demonstrates saying, I don't have it all together, but follow my example. And he's willing to hold the tension of this, saying, come after me as I come after Jesus. This, what is this example of Paul? I've thrown everything that I have into following Jesus. I realize that my most glorious successes are not enough, so I'm trusting in the one who is enough. I know I can't do it on my own, Paul says, so I'm following after him, so therefore follow me. That's what Paul's message is throughout this entire book. The reason he can have joy in suffering, joy in Jesus, is because he has found God to be enough, The sustainer through the mess and through the challenge of what it means to be human. And he's talking to people who are facing some really specific realities of what they're going through. He says that I've told you often before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame. That kind of sounds like people are really living debased lives, like going after all sorts of craziness and doing whatever they want to in their body and in their life but likely it was religious people that had substituted their own works for the all-sufficient work of Jesus. Because of the context here, you, you have to remember, and I want you to especially hear this, Pathfinders, not all people in the church are mature. Not all people in the church are mature. We take that for granted, Right? We take that for granted. But in Philippi, they weren't all mature, and not all people in the church are mature here. What I mean by that is like, we mess up. We don't have it together. All ages don't have it together. And so in Philippi, there were some people that were messing up. There were some people that were saying, like, oh man, everybody needs to be circumcised. Their glory was in their shame. That's what that means. They were like, everyone needs to be circumcised to be saved. And then they were saying their God becomes their stomach. What you eat and how you eat it. The dietary laws, how you purify things, how you go about stuff. They were like majoring in the minors. Have you ever heard that phrase? Making everything super important. Because here's what we can sometimes do. Is that when it's internally, when things are stressful, we try to externalize and control the externals. We try to say like, well, if I can understand all of this and do all of this, then maybe I can have peace inside. Because there's mystery and there's things we don't understand and there's stuff we pray for that just doesn't make sense. But if I can keep all of this, if I can do all of this, and Paul says their destiny is destruction. Their God has become their stomach. Their glory is in their shame because you see their mind is set on earthly things. My dependence, my example I give to you is trusting in Jesus. The example I give to you is the grace of God alone. So he's speaking with such harsh language. Enemy of the cross? Like that's really, really strong. If I came along to you and I said you're an enemy of the cross of Christ, that would feel like super strong. That language is harsh. Because for Paul, he's saying anything that says Jesus and Grace and is insufficient to save us. It becomes an enemy of Jesus. There's nothing that you can do to make God love you more or to cause him to love you less. There is nothing that you can do to make God, cause God to love you more or cause him to love you less. That's not what this is about. Someone showed me this book, an Avenus book, that had the Ten Commandments on the cover and it said, Highway to Heaven, the stone tablets, the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are really beautiful. They give us a way to live that is in line with the pattern that God gave us, and they're not the Highway to Heaven. That is not the Highway to Heaven. The cross is the bridge. The cross is Jesus saying, I love you so much that I can't live without you. I love you so much that there's nothing I wouldn't give to show my love for you, so I'm risking everything. I'm going out, I'm going all in for you because I love you. And so the 10 Commandments, us following after Jesus, is because we want to live in the joy of living in the way God has designed us. But it is not the way. To salvation there is only one way by which we must be saved and so Paul says I say this again I say it with tears because here he is he's the one he's the pastor that planted the church he's the one who's now traveling everywhere he's going to all these different places and he hears word that there are people going among those in Philippi and saying there are other requirements that will make you right with God Get circumcised, eat, purify, do these things. Do all of this and you'll become right with God. And so he says, I say this with tears in my eyes because I don't want you to miss the grace that has sustained me my whole life. And I don't want you to miss the grace that will sustain you. So Paul says, don't miss it. What hurts his heart, I think, more than anything, and and what would cause our hearts to ache, and I think God's too, is if you grow up close to everything. You grow up in the church, and yet you miss the grace of God. You grow up right next to it, rubbing shoulders with everything, since you were knee high to a grasshopper, as they say, but yet you miss that God gave everything for you, and you miss that God. Adores you. He puts into contrast, Paul does, puts into con- contrast these folks that are focusing and have everything else becoming their God. He says instead of us, and I hope that it's all of us, but our citizenship is in heaven. In other words, it's already determined, it's already decided. You can't earn your citizenship, it just is. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. You have your citizenship, so you act in a particular way. And he uses loaded political language for Philippi because Philippi was a Roman colony. And so they had citizenship just like they lived in Rome. So they act and ate and dressed and had all the privileges as if they were in Rome. And so he uses this loaded political language for them and says, just like you get all of the benefits and privileges of Rome even as you live here, your citizenship is in heaven. And you eagerly, we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. He reminds them not only of what they have right now, but he reminds them of what they have that's coming. So in the midst of the struggle and in the midst of the distractions and in the midst of the people that are saying like, hey, you can do this to earn favor with God or you can do this or that, he says to them, you already have it. What you think you keep striving for, you already have. You are a citizen of heaven. And God is already drawing you there, bringing you into a place where you can be completely transformed. We live according to the pattern of the one who transforms us, the one who spoke everything into existence, the one who will then transform us completely and wholly. What an amazing God. So I ask you today, do you struggle with anything? Do you struggle perhaps with lying, smoking, smoking? Sexual temptation, hopelessness, gossip, pride, laziness, lack of faith, doubt. These things will be changed by the power of God alone. This power of God that lives and works and moves in us. In another letter, Paul says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. He says, we stretch our muscles and we strive towards something. But then on the other hand, in another letter, he says, but you must also remember that the one who calls you is faithful to complete the work. So we hold both of these things that we stretch and struggle and we give ourselves to God completely. And at the same time, we trust that only God can do the work that only God is able to complete the good work that has been started in us. This is the messiness of what it means to be human. And Paul's writing this real letter to people that are struggling with that as people are telling them conflicting things as they're torn in this direction and that. So he says, instead of just giving them these words, he says, come follow me as I follow Jesus. I love this story that was told. um, Jeff Newton says this story of his little son, Jonathan, who was around four years old, was learning the Lord's Prayer and repeating it often. And he knew he had it now, so he was one morning in church saying it louder than all the others. And so he remembers hearing his son say, Our Father who art in heaven, I know you know my name. And he called it out louder than any of the other kids. And he said he'll never forget. Our father who art in heaven, I know you know my name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I know you know my name. I know you know my name. That's what I hope and pray that you know is that God knows your name. That God watches you. That God is invested deeply in you. And so when Paul says, you guys are going about all this stuff Trying to make yourselves right with God, but you already have it. You already have citizenship in heaven, and we're awaiting Jesus from there. Follow my example as I follow after Jesus. So it's messy and it's hard, and I'm right there with you that this time is heavy. Would you join with me in following after Paul, in following his example of following after Jesus, clinging desperately? to the one who knows our name and the one who is deeply invested in you.